Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Awesome. Awesome. Yep. Last January recap video. This is also our last yes uh, sermon of the day or of the series. Uh, and to start us off, guys, a little poll question. Um, who here would say that for the typical person, American 2024, um, life is a little busy, a little stressful, work is a bit of a hamster wheel? Poll, who, who would agree with uh, that general sin? Maybe not for yourself, but, you know, for those around you. Okay. Um, one commentator, might have been Dave Ramsey or somebody, said, it sounds like what he would say. says, we spend money we don't have. To get stuff we don't need. To impress people we don't even like. Sure, all of you guys like everyone. Um, but with that, we're left with a contentment problem. We don't know how to be content and happy and settled when we live like that. Scripture gives us some real answers. And so that's what we're going to dig into today. Uh, our final yes for this series. We've done scripture silence, solitude. Our final yes is simplicity. This has been the church's answer to a variety of economic concerns and constraints. Simplicity has been the Christian tradition for thousands of years. Marie Kondo did not uh, invent this, um, but scripture gives us a life-giving way to approach our time, our money, our energy. So that's what we're going to dig into today. Let's pray together as we open scripture. Jesus, we thank you for your word to us, Lord God. Thank you for how it has spoken to generations faithfully, Lord God. Right now we submit our ideas, opinions um, to the word of God. um, And we bring our life into uh, the influence of the word of God. Uh, Would you guide and direct us, Lord God? Um, lead us in your path of life for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to be in Luke chapter 12. If you want to open your Bible or just read along on the screen. Luke chapter 12, uh, Jesus walking around with his disciples, uh, teaching Uh, someone called out from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. I think this, this guy had a legitimate request, but Jesus is saying, you get to talk to me one time to Jesus. And this is what you want to talk to me about? Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. This is good. A fertile land, fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. He's stressed out, anxious, like a poor farmer is stressed out. I said, what should I do? Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones good idea. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I will sit back and I will say to myself, my friend, you have stored away enough 
for years to come. Now, take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. The word of the Lord. This man had an excess of money and used it towards an excess of pleasure. This is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. Jesus' point is that the seeker of wealth, person who puts wealth first, ends up with an empty soul and an empty life. This guy said, I've gotten enough. I've gotten enough now. Now I can be happy. Eat, drink, and be merry. This phrase doesn't just mean eat something, drink something, and be happy. It's a phrase that's used throughout the Bible as like partying, lifestyle of, of excess. Now, now I can relax and be happy. I think that this is one of the things that makes this story so 2024. Just to name a couple things around us. Now, one one author says that um, as he examines the cultural trends, personal happiness and freedom is now the highest good. We have a belief that education will make everything better if we just learn, tell people to be nice to each other, teach everyone, um, and that authenticity and self-expression are the ways to happiness. I'm only happy if I get to do me. Whatever I want, you know, at that time, um, if I have freedom to express and joy, do you, if I do me, then I'll be happy. And this guy says, now I have enough money, I'm going to do anything, everything that makes me happy. And this story, it's not against money. Jesus had rich friends, this and he talks about the centurion who, who builds the synagogue, um, the hospitable home of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. These were the people who Jesus hung out with and, and enjoyed time with them. Um, but he also says, don't store up treasure here on earth where it can decay, where moths eat and things destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Store up your treasure in heaven where nothing can touch it where nothing can steal it. For wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. It says, there your heart will be. It's a statement of fact, not like a question mark. Um, Proverbs 11 says, he who trusts in riches, not he who has riches, but he who trusts in riches will wither. So what's our... Christian calling and our answer solution to this. Today we're talking about simplicity, which has been the ideal of the church for thousands of years. First thing, simplicity is enjoyment. This guy, he couldn't enjoy life until he had enough money. And then he went into excess of enjoyment. He couldn't enjoy a little he also couldn't enjoy a lot. 
Uh, when I was working in uh, Ohio, Ohio's, you know, pretty blue collar. Um, I ran into over the summer, another teacher. I said, hi, how's your summer going? Uh, what's going on? And he said, oh, you know, um, I had to get another job over the summer, which was fine for teachers. And he's like, we got a boat and the boat is so expensive. So, you know, I got this other job. Okay. Moving on to happier subjects, you know, how's the boat? He said, been so busy with this second job. I've only been out on it once. I I mean, like, I just, I feel like there has to be a better way, right? Um, I, my parents told me go to whatever college is the cheapest. And I went to whatever college was the cheapest and graduated with, you know, low student debt. And because of that, I was able to travel in my 20s. I was able to work whatever jobs did not pay as well. I had freedom. I had a lot of options because I didn't have student loan debt, was able to live in China for a number of years and, um, you know, do do some great things that would not have been available to, to me. Um, simplicity, I think, is freedom. Freedom for adventure, freedom for some flexibility, and also freedom to enjoy whatever is uh, in front of you. One author says that when we enjoy God's creation, when we enjoy the good things around us, we reflect God. Remember in Genesis on the seventh day of creation, God saw everything that he had made. He said it was good, and then he rested on the seventh day. He relaxed and enjoyed. He wasn't like a disinterested store manager just checking items off the quality list so he could head out for an early start on his weekend. He said, I like it. It's good. And then he enjoyed the beautiful lake. Then he enjoyed what he had made. And when we do that, we're actually participating with God. C.S. Lewis wrote a uh, very fictional book um, about uh, one uh, senior demon mentoring like a, a junior devil and teaching him the way to mess up people and, and tempt people. And then this uh, uh, fictional account, this demon, he, um, he rebukes his uh, junior uh, employee. And he says, I heard that he, the human subject, he enjoyed a beautiful walk in the park this morning and then a steaming hot cup of tea. How foolish of you. A good little demon would never let their human enjoy this. Don't you know that these moments of joy connect him to reality and might even connect him to God? Simplicity enjoys the good from God. Simplicity just puts things in their proper place. God wanted to give the Israelites a land flowing with milk and honey and for them to enjoy the abundance and for them to follow him in obedience in that abundance. In simplicity, we're freed from controlling the earth, controlling money, controlling luxuries. Just receive it as a gift. And the truth is, most of us here, are a little bit like that rich farmer. If you are an American with a job, with a car, I mean, we are rich here globally. If you live on $50 a day, which works out to $18,000 per year for a household, you qualify globally as high income. 
Now, we are also high expenses here. Um, <laughs> but the truth is that we have so much more than other countries, other places in the world right here. And now and we have luxuries that our great-grandparents could barely even have imagined. So why don't we feel it? Because I don't walk around going like, I'm rich. Why don't we feel it? I wonder if part of it isn't because, isn't because of our generosity. That's one of the things this guy is missing. It's his barns for his storage, for his grain, for him. And maybe if, maybe if he gave away a little bit, he'd sit in happiness next to his fields and say, wow, look at all I have. I have so much. This is the good life right here and right now. Generosity connects us to our abundance. We realize we do have extra to maybe give away, that we are blessed, that our fields are fertile metaphorically, and that we have more than we need. Simplicity is generous, and generosity can open us up to contentment. But when we say simplicity, what do we really mean? Like practically, what does simplicity mean? I think this is really hard to be practical because to be practical, you have to be specific. And to be specific, it's really easy to be legalistic sometimes. I lived most of my 20s in, quote-unquote, poor, underserved communities, um, underserved uh, communities overseas, um, lower-income context. Um, but when Steve and I got married, our first church out of seminary was in Darien, Connecticut, which is the eighth wealthiest town in America. And uh, I led the youth group there. And uh, one Sunday evening, uh, one of our kids came in. It was her 16th birthday, and she just got a new car for her 16th birthday. We're all so happy for her. Go out, gather around the car. It is a brand-new S-Class Mercedes. I mean, the paint, it's like got that sparkle of, of paint that you're like, does any other, like, jewels or gems reflect that bright blue? It was gorgeous. And uh, I looked around that circle of other teenagers, and I saw some glances. They looked at that shiny car. They looked jealous. They looked at each other. They looked judgy. And that is exactly what I would have done. But God did something in me in that moment. I looked at that, those leather seats and that sunroof, and I looked at her. And thought about her family, I'm like, hmm, seems about right. That's about the equivalent of me getting my 16-year-old a beat-up Corolla when she turns 16. Because I knew the family. They were incredibly generous with the church, incredibly generous with other charities. Um, they had folks stay in their home and live with them. Um, and the dad has since taken a early retirement from his very very responsible, stressful job in New York City um, to work for a local church. He runs their organization and finance uh, at that local church now. And God just, he broke something off of me. 
I mean, do I think it's maybe a little excessive to give a 16-year-old a brand new S-Class Mercedes? But God broke something off of me in that moment. Um, if we aren't specific, then this is all theoretical and meaningless. So some specifics are good. Richard Foster uh, has a great list of specifics. So it's not my uh, uh, opinion. He's much wiser um, and smarter than I am. So he says, for simplicity, firstly, he suggests buy things for their usefulness, not their status. Buy clothes because you don't have any nice, warm, comfy, cozy sweaters, and you want one, and it's great. If you have three or four nice, warm, comfy, cozy sweaters, enjoy them. It's probably a limit to how many you can wear at one time anyways. But buy things for their usefulness, not their status. Buy a good car. Buy but we want to put value on function and usefulness and, again, the good things in life. Secondly, he suggests reject anything that is producing an addiction in you. Do you need chocolate? Do you need that, you know, cheesy bagel sandwich from that uh, cafe every, every morning? It sounds amazing, and I think it might be a good idea for me to stop there on my way home from church today. But do we need those things? Do we need entertainment, Netflix, social media, technology, video games, whatever it is? We want to live free. Don't feed your weakness. Simplify your life and get rid of the dictators of your time and money and attention and life. Then Richard Foster says, number three, um, borrow, loan, and give. Give stuff away and loan out your nice stuff. I used to loan out my car a good amount because that's something that somebody actually needs, right? I can loan you my DVDs if that's, you know. Um, and then my car was crashed twice. Um, so I decided to back off on that one a little bit until I didn't have a stick shift because people can't actually drive them as well as they think they can. Um, but um, loaning out things and borrowing things that we enjoy them without owning them. Can I enjoy this without having to have possession of it? Uh, a couple of times I've asked to borrow something and uh, the person is like, oh, no, 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 no. Let me just order that on Amazon for you. You don't need to borrow it. I'll buy it for you if you need it. Like, it kind of made me sad because I didn't want to put them out on spending the money for me. I just wanted to take it from them for a, a, a weekend. Um, and I didn't want to have it. I just wanted to use it. Um, so I think good habits of borrowing and loaning and giving out our nice stuff, it's temporary, comes back to us. We're happy. They're happy. Uh, it's just a good rhythm for life. Then enjoy creation and enjoy the simple things in life. You know, enjoying creation doesn't mean um, hiking and uh, tromping through the wet, cold snow necessarily. Like, no, I can't enjoy creation. Um, it means being present to sunrise. It means breathing the fresh air and saying, I, I'm alive. It means 
being fully present to a nice conversation with a neighbor or a good meal at the end of the day. Enjoying what's before us in everything that God has made and God has given us. Is it snowing outside? I think it's snowing outside. Wow, another thing for us to enjoy, guys. Can you believe it? Ah. <coughs> and then lastly, and this could be an entire sermon, um, reject anything that breeds oppression in others. We know from the food we eat, how animals are treated and raised and killed, to the clothes we wear, how workers are, are, are treated um, honored or dishonored in the process. Uh, we want to reject anything um, that is part or complicit in cycles of oppression. Listen, my money is valuable. I want to put my money towards quality things, not cheap exploitation. If I'm going to pay my money for it, that is valuable. Uh, and I want to invest in things that are good. So guys, in this, in this list, are there things that maybe stand out to you? Like, well, that would be helpful. I feel a tug, an invitation. Um, maybe just turn to your neighbor real quick and whisper, yeah, probably number two, number three. Um, you know, are there things that are like, this would be a good invitation for me. They're not burdensome. Enjoy creation. This is, uh, this, God leads us in the path of life, of goodness. So just take a moment and think like, what would really be helpful for me? What's an invitation for me in this? Matthew 6, Jesus says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable than some birds? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. So don't worry about these things. Your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Ultimately, that is this rich fool's biggest problem. It was all about himself. My crops, my barn, my grain, my goods, myself. Uh, the word I is used uh, eight times here. The word mine is used four times. He was missing any reference beyond himself. Psalm 14 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And that is what is most foolish about this farmer. He wasn't seeking first the kingdom of God. He was seeking first the kingdom of self. And instead of these things being added to him, everything was subtracted. When we are dependent on Jesus, 
We can live into outward simplicity because we also have inner simplicity, that we are set and focused and centered on Jesus, that we know where our strength comes from, that we have a source beyond ourself. So we do not need the anxiety and stress of all these other attachments. We are attached to Jesus, and we know who our God is. Richard Foster says that again that the American hero is the rich is the poor boy who becomes rich. A Rockefeller or something like that. That's who we admire. The Christian hero is the rich boy who became poor. The Lord Jesus Christ, our uh, rich man, our God became poor. And he did indeed have inner simplicity. He was 100% focused on you and on me. God came, not as an ideal or as a moral, but as a person like you and me. To live among those who had much more than him and much less. To live, he had endless resources available to him, but he chose the path of limits. Taking on our pain, our burdens, our disappointments, our sin, our failure, ultimately taking on in the cross evil and injustice and death to rise again into new life, overcoming all the limits that we face in his resurrection. And he did it all not to enrich himself, but to enrich us, to buy for us forgiveness and victory second, third, fourth chances, and a new life. A good life is lived under the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no need to hoard because my heavenly father knows all my needs and takes care of me. We can live generously because God is generous with us. We can enjoy the present moment because God redeems the past and has secured our future. A good life is lived under the loving lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm.